Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hej, Fia Gullikson här. Snart får du lyssna på Kulturpodden och kanske öka det din medvetenhet om kulturens härliga kraft. Vi har lyckan att göra det här programmet tack vare samarbete med bland annat Jämtkraft. Jämtländsk urkraft från sol, vind, vatten och skog. Varsågoda. Hej och varmt välkomna till Kulturpodden. Idag har vi en vän och en kollega till mig som gäst. Jag heter Fia Gullikson och är serieentreprenör och matkreatör. Och jag gör den här podden med underbart härliga Elin Olofsson som är författare huvudsakligen även om jag ägnar mig åt en del annat också. Och dagens huvudperson, han befinner sig här i Jämtland, han bor här i Jämtland och han verkar här i Jämtland och han är ju väldigt högaktuell, globalt. Eh, har du träffat honom någon gång, Elin? Nej, jag har inte det. Och jag har heller inte besökt Färviken-magasinet som han är känd för. Kan inte du som känner Magnus Nilsson, denna otroligt omtalade person just nu, berätta lite om honom och Färviken-magasinet? Mm. Jag skulle vilja börja med att berätta om Magnus och han är nog den mest självklara unga människan jag har träffat någonsin. Som har sån inre tydlighet. Som det, liksom det känns och det syns på utsidan. Du känner det direkt. Så han är den människan med mest självkänsla kanske man kan tala om. Och om man vet i varenda steg och varenda ord han tar så funderar han aldrig så mycket på vad andra tycker och tänker. Utan han, han går sin egen väg. Men han kopplar samman all sin kunskap och den, de, de intressen han har och så agerar han. Bara pang på. Otroligt häftigt faktiskt att se. Och sen ett besök på Färviken är ju som en gastronomisk teater. Men ändå väldigt hemtam för mig. För det är smaker, det är rätter, det är råvaror. Och det är liksom ljud och miljö och musik som alltid, alltid har funnits här i Jämtland. Men han gestaltar ju... Det här, han transformerar de här naturliga råvarorna på, med, med sitt filter, så att säga. Sitt kulturfilter och sitt kunnande. Och han är ju både sommelier och kock och extremt duktig både att skriva och fotografera. 
Och jag vet ju att en stor del av världens matmagasin och matjournalister rycker och drar i honom. Mm. Men vi har ju turen att ha fått banda ett samtal med honom, inte sant? Ja men precis, för i några av alla mina uppdrag så får jag ibland hänga med utländska journalister. Runt i Sverige men också runt i Jämtland. Och då hade jag då nyligen turen att få hänga med till Magnus tillsammans med Diana Henry. Hon är alltså journalist på The Telegraph i UK. Och han är extremt het just nu i England. Därför att han har precis kommit ut med sin bok som heter The Nordic Cookbook. Som, där han under flera, flera år har samlat in material alltså om nordisk matlagning. Och det är ingen liksom piffad bok eller så utan det är jordnära nordisk matlagning som förklarar liksom vad vi är just nu lite grann så där tar tempen på Norden ur ett gastronomiskt perspektiv. Och nu är jag förstås otroligt nyfiken och intresserad av det här samtalet med Magnus Nilsson. Häng med upp till Färviken magasinet på baksidan av Åreskutan. Jämtland är trivs i som alla bäst för det går lätt till öva. Och dagen är föjan som en fest om bond och björskans sava. Då blomman kom upp och gauken ger och bomben gjorde med ploja. Då kinnan gaur och jättran skvär vill bort på lauta i skoja. The first half year was just me working here, for example. I didn't know how you did that. <laughs> But it was small. It was just a table for eight. It was a communal table for eight. Probably not at your level, but I think I would have over twelve. Yeah. So yeah, small is good. Yeah, but that was like it was a communal table for eight, and I just ran between the kitchen and the front of house, and and then after about half a year, I employed someone to do uh, front of house. And we opened up the dining room where you're going to sit tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we increased to 12. And then a couple years ago we increased to 16. And that's the maximum capacity of the dining room. What it was all planned for in the beginning. Um, and with that, of course, quite a dramatic increase in staff. Um, and have, you got, have you got nine now? Nine staff? staff yeah. 21. 21? Yeah. That's covering everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 11 in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Four front of housing service and then you know breakfast and cleaning and stuff like that, gardening. Uh, and then this season we also added a communal table again, like it was in the very beginning. Okay. In the entry floor. Did you want to? You got rid of that, didn't you? I did because yes. I couldn't, you know, we couldn't do it in both no. floors, and I always wanted to do it again. <laughs> yeah. And now we're we finally have the infrastructure that we can do it again because it's a very nice thing to sit together, especially yeah, when you exactly. travel to do something. Everyone has traveled from different parts of the world to do something and the same thing and you know sit down together. So, so, so now that's the restaurant today. And uh, so there's 21 people working here, and on top of that, there are about 20 others working in other parts of our business with the charcuterie and hot dogs and all that stuff. Oh yes, I heard you have that. Where's the hot dogs? <laughs> so there's one in Ore in the ski resort, uh-huh. which is tiny, it's 3.3 square meters with a little window to the street. Okay. What made you want to do that? I always wanted to do a hot dog place. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, so hot dog kiosk in Swedish is Korvkiosk. Oh, no. They're a big thing. I knew that. Yeah, and I registered korvkiosk.se 10 years ago. 
And you, I love the name that you have for, your, for the, the Magnus Catering Company and the Caramella. <laughs> that is brilliant because that is a child's kind of like yeah, view yeah, yeah. of what they can become. Oh, I, I started when I was almost a kid. I was 15 when I started that company. So. <laughs> but then you, you said at that stage you wanted to have one of the best restaurants in the world. Mm. Is that the kind of kid you were? I mean, were you very... Is, is that because it was to do with food and you love food or are you a very competitive and driven person? I've always seen myself as very ambitious rather than competitive. Yeah, because they're, mm. they're different things, actually. But you're very laid back at the same time. I mean, I was surprised when I met you in London because you're, you're not like most of the chefs that I know. Because, you, well, you seem like a teenager. You seem quite, no, in a really <laughs> lovely way, kind, kind of nerdy about food, which is lovely. But you seem very boyish about it. Um, so, I just enjoy it a lot, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic thing because, like, it's it's fun to run a restaurant like this, obviously, and although it's very challenging and all that, but it's fun creatively and it's fun to see that one it makes so many people that come here very very happy. Um, Is that the kick for you that people? It's very important that yeah. I can stand in the stairwell here and like watch people, people and you can see that they're super really happy you know, and they're taking it all in. That's very important. And then the other thing is that it's been fantastic that we can inspire so many. Like, not necessarily to do specific things, but maybe generally as to think a bit more about food, which is a good thing. Is, do you feel that's your duty in some kind of way? No, not really, okay. but it's an, it's an added perk. It's an know? added perk, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, for me, the main motivation about creating the kind of media attention that we've done, like, you know, with television in the US and stuff like that, mm. it's to fill the restaurant. Because... Obviously, it's always fun when someone likes what you do. Yes. But it's a very short, uh, you know, joy. And, and to, 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 to sustain this, it has to be profitable and we have to fill the restaurant yeah. all of the time. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing. But the, 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 the side effect, the positive side effect of that is that we reached out to so many people. Yeah. And that a lot of people really seem to be very, you know, think that what we're doing is something good and maybe something that in some way they get inspired from. Um. When you were working just on your own here at the beginning, was that not was that not hard and quite lonely? A little bit, but on the other hand, it was also the only way to do it because. Do you think so? I think it was because uh, I, I don't believe in putting together concepts uh, that are already it's done. You know, no. it doesn't work. No, I agree. Things have to evolve. And they do organically. They do. Yeah. And and in this case here, like also the owners or now my business partners, they would never have agreed to putting up uh, an organization of 21 people uh, in a restaurant that barely existed. Yeah. Just because someone said that it would be good at some point, you know. Um, and I don't think the restaurant would have been as successful as it is today either if we would have done that in the beginning. So I think, you know, it was necessary and I didn't mind it. But you would have been trying things out and making things and tasting things and you would have had no sounding board, or did you? Because if you're on your own... No, that was just me. <laughs> but that's not very different from a lot of restaurants in general. It's okay. very, like, regardless what they say, most restaurants have a very, very old-fashioned way of looking at creativity, where it's one person... It's one person. ...and then a team that executes. And that's something that we, later on, when the team, team has become bigger and more qualified, <laughs> kind of tried to change a little bit. But, uh, and something that we thought a lot about. But which isn't like, and it's quite interesting because if you look at any other creative field, like if you look at architecture, and you you have you commission a, a like a M Cole has building or something like that, yeah, like he's not going to do that thing. Like 
there's going to be 50 other people working together with him on the whole process from you know A to Z basically. Um, but it's unmistakably, unmistakably, it's going to be a Rem called has building. You're going to see it yes. if it's successful at least, and and I think that's quite interesting because very few people achieve that in restaurants to integrate the bigger part of the team in the creative process and yeah. still maintain like, the focus and the, focus and the sort of division of things. I think a lot of the successful things, that's what that's what people have managed to do. I, I agree with you, actually, fine enough, because, I mean, I don't run a restaurant, but I write books. Yeah. And those they do start with me, and I keep a hold on it, even though sometimes everybody else thinks actually they're doing it. They are doing it. Yeah. But I know what What's kind of what I want like, it to be yeah, yeah. in the end up, yeah. I think. And I think that's very important, you know. Um... Is it important for you to be back at home? Yes. Just it is. because that's the stage you're at in your life and your kids are here? Yeah, and I enjoy it here. And it's also the fact that you know, I have a close connection to this place, to Jemtland, and to a lot of people here. And you don't lose that. Because I come from the north of Ireland, yeah. and it's the same thing. When I go back there, my shoulders drop, and it's like, yeah. and I'm perfectly happy in England. Yeah. But there's a thing about going but back to where you come there, from. You know, it's very easy. It's easier for me to mirror uh, like the historic food culture and so on here yeah. in the restaurant than it would be if I did it in South Sweden or in uh, France or somewhere because then it, at some level it would be more contrived than it is here. Here it just makes sense. You know? And you're steeped in it because it's where you come from. Yeah. Um, when you did, the, when you did the, the Nordic book, did you see things when you were on your travels that you, I mean, it's a, it's a book of home recipes, mm-hmm. But did you see things that you thought, oh, I need, I would like to do something like this? Did it have an effect? Yes, uh, definitely. And not not always so immediate that it was, you know, oh, this, I want to do exactly this dish in the restaurant. No, but, just... but, you know, they're in there and there are dishes on the menu now that wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for the research of the book. Was it techniques or was it flavour combinations oh. or...? Depending on the certain, like, depending on the dish and so on. Okay. A bit of both, but often, little like, little of elements of different different things I saw and, you know... And there's still like loads of products that I would love to. Oh work no, this with, will be bubbling, bubbling yeah. under for years because when yeah, you do yeah, that yeah. when you travel, that well, that's when I get most excited mm. about food because I never thought of doing that. No. And they're doing this, but I could do this, but I'm a bit, this other bit yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the book is a is a labour of love. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's kind of because I like you the the Scandinavian the time life book is the yeah. one that I have, yeah. which I love. Super it's, good. It's yeah. just brilliant, yeah. and it does manage to separate the different um, countries as well, mm-hmm. but there's something that brings them all together at the same time. But isn't it amazing that nobody had done one since 1968? <laughs> of, of the kind of, yeah, of Nordic <laughs> foods. Because yeah. um, I started travelling all over this area, not up this far, actually, mm-hmm. here, uh, about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and the thing that really, I thought, my God, most of these people are eating pizza and pasta at home, though. And where is all the kind of home cooking? And everything is so Mediterraneanized. And I became really kind of angry about, you know, roast Mediterranean vegetables and stuff. Because I thought, that's all we're going to be doing in 15 years' time yeah, if yeah. somebody doesn't kind of say, hey, we have to kind of, like, preserve some things. Yeah. Um, did you think ever that if you were going to record stuff, I mean, some of it obviously is in there, as you said, just to be recorded, nobody's necessarily mm. going to cook them. But did you, is one of your hopes that people would value the the home food of these countries? I think they will. And also, just the pure sort of knowledge transfer. Because the thing with food here 
is that it is as a culture quite inaccessible. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I mean, we might have spoken about this already. No. Yeah, I can see that in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I used this example a few times now, and it's actually, I think it's really good because it tells you a lot about Nordic food culture. But if you go to Spain uh, and you go into a random restaurant in a random city, yeah. most likely you're going to have a meal that's kind of representative of what people would cook possibly in their home. Yes, like, you do in Spain. You do, you know. And it's not quite as much like that in France, but still, like, you have a pretty good chance of getting something that's actually indicative of French cooking. Yeah. And in basically all the Mediterranean countries. In the Nordic countries, if you go to Stockholm, I, I, can, I dare anyone to find a restaurant that's uh, actually representative of Swedish food. I find it really, really hard in every Nordic country, which is kind of like, where can because, I get the home food? Because this is the thing, and, and like... In the Nordic region, let's say in the Mediterranean region, in south, southern Europe, uh, 50% is carried by restaurants and 50 by people cooking in their homes of the food culture. Here, almost all of it is carried by people in their homes and almost none of it by restaurants, which makes it very inaccessible you if you don't know the right people. Do you know why it evolved that way? We don't have a restaurant-going tradition in the same way as we have in... And what you did have was kind of like came from France? Yeah, that kind like of, I really yeah. came from France and it was for... Uh, celebrating 70th anniversary uh, once every four years or something like that. Uh, or it was a, a bar where you went to get drunk. And very, very little in between those things, you know. And maybe that bar would have some Swedish food, but it was mainly there because you had to serve food with the booze. Yeah. And, and this idea of eating an everyday meal in a restaurant, in Sweden at least, uh, and most of the other Nordic countries as well, it's a fairly new thing that if you're going to find some Swedish kind of traditional cooking it will probably be for lunch uh, the, the dish of the day oh, right. okay. uh, but that's awesome. always yeah but that's always very poorly done because there's no money uh, like no one pays for it it's like eight euros or nine euros you do, know? do you um is it something people just didn't want to spend money on here is no, that it's, partly it's more, why it's more of a cultural thing that you eat your everyday meals in your home okay just a difference in culture uh, and probably comes from loads of different reasons. Uh, I, you know, I would imagine also one reason would be that it's much more sparsely populated up here. So it's more difficult to sustain an everyday restaurant. Sure, uh, of course. And today it's just cultural. Uh, it's become part of you know, the way we eat and consume. Uh, and it's still the same. Like the, People are going out to eat more and more in the major cities of Sweden and Norway and Denmark today and Finland as well, I guess. Still not on the level as you would in the UK or in, in America or somewhere else. You know? um, so what you've gathered up while you've been doing the book, that's completely other end from what you do here. It is. Uh, well, what we do here is, is all of that filtered through me uh, and my point of view or my opinions and then kind of passed through a more contemporary, ambitious restaurant kind of filter. Whilst the stuff in the book is unfiltered yeah <laughs> it's just you know what's there uh, did anything surprise you did you discover anything you didn't expect there's so much the book is twice as thick as it should be like it was commissioned to be half of that no i read all about that <laughs> and that you could have gone on to seven volumes yeah, yeah. and the uh the foreign editions <laughs> department in Thailand are furious because it's 1.2 million uh, letters to translate oh, never mind they'll <laughs> <laughs> hate it because of translation or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah well, yeah, that doesn't matter, matter. <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter actually um, 
was there? Did you, you didn't go to? Did you? You did go to Iceland for it. I did. I did. Yeah. Did, so was there anything that seemed very foreign to you, and you thought, "My God, this has existed within the Nordic region, and I didn't know about it." The many like there are many examples of things that I didn't know about because I thought I knew a lot about the Nordic region and it turned out I didn't, um, which was interesting. But specifically on Iceland, like, or let's say like this, on in all of the kind of island nations or the very sort of remote North Atlantic uh, parts of the Nordic region, one thing that's interesting is that they don't use salt the same way we do in kind of more centrally located parts of Europe. No, because uh, they didn't have, like, it's too cold to uh, evaporate in uh, sultans, like in so France or Spain. No, and they, it's no trees, you know, to fire the salt pans, like in the UK. Yeah. Um, and before modern shipping, basically, it was too expensive. You had a little bit, but you didn't use it for preserving things, for example. Mm-hmm. So while we in Europe are all tuned into, you know, the very rich amino acid based umami flavors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We love them. Mm. Uh, they are less so. You know, for me and you, a uh, slice of Parma ham and olive, cheese, yeah. all of those things, they are tasty today because uh, they in- indicate that the food has been properly preserved. Yeah. They're a good indication of something that's been properly preserved. Yes. Whilst in the Faroe Islands, they didn't rely on those preservation techniques. So most of their preservation techniques are saltless. Uh, so they have like a lot of saltless charcuteries and stuff like that, that to me, you know, are more... Difficult to appreciate because my they taste blander. No, they taste like death. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> they're, they're, like for you and me, they're rotten, okay. but they're preserved in like they're they're kept in ways that promote certain strains of mold and bacteria to grow on them, like we do with the salt. We promote lactobacillus. Yes, and they have other strains of other uh, microorganisms that protect the meat, but to you and me, it's kind of rotten. Uh, and you can see that like, there are 10 other people that are eating these meats and so they're they obviously them. alive, yeah. but it's still a struggle to put them in your mouth. So the things that you didn't like? Yeah, there are plenty of things I didn't like. Really? And the book is not about that. It's really about uh, like distancing me from my, you know, from, from uh, I'm, I'm just the guy who collected the recipes basically yeah. and formatted them into something that people can understand. And when... The context is not obvious. I also tried to include narrative to yeah. put it into a context. No, that's very important. There's no point in having... Well, recipes aren't just something to no. eat. They have to come with something yeah, else. Exactly. Um, is the book going to be translated into Swedish? I mean, into um, Danish are, and I Norwegian so. and all the rest of it? Is I, that I, I hope so. I can, and that depends on whether there will be publishers picking it up or not. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope so. That w- it would be a pity if it wasn't. Um, but it's definitely not certain. Because if no one is willing to pay for the production in those countries, then if it's not you, you would want it to be a kind of like, you know, become a classic for yeah, the entire yeah, area definitely, and definitely. publish in all those languages. Yeah, um, you, you, you're very kind of pure in your focus. I can see that. Um, does, the, does the kind of celebrity stuff that surrounds it a bit, does that annoy you? Uh, sometimes it does a little bit because it's a little bit strange, you know. And for me, like... I can't imagine you like being famous. Do you like being famous? Not as such. Like, no. not for what it is, but it's a very useful tool. That's what I think about fame. Yeah. <laughs> it allows you to do what you want to do, but unfortunately you have to go through, you have to have the crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of how it works. is. Because if I didn't go out myself and really push for it so much, like, we wouldn't be able to fill the restaurant to the degree we do. Do you... Do you still feel that's something you have to drive still, even uh, now? Yes, but 
not in the same way as it used to be because we're so established now. But it still needs to be kept up and it's still like to strengthen our profile is something that's going to help to kind of uh, carry our thoughts on food to more people. Uh, and it allows me to do all kinds of interesting things because yeah. if I hadn't got that with me, like Faden would never agree to fund the book like that, for example, and to distribute the book like that if I couldn't make sure that it's sold really well. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, it's like you say, it allows you to do what you want to do, yeah. but there's also like the other stuff I don't care much for. Yeah. But it's okay if it gives you a certain kind of freedom. There's always a bit of a price, I think, to do what you want to do. And, and for also to, to live up here, it makes that price smaller to pay. Because you're away from things. Yes. Okay. No so one here still cares. still get to be. No. Yeah, yeah, no one here cares about anything, you know. They, um, what do they think about you locally? We, we love him. <laughs> <laughs> well, people here are happy because they see that we bring... Like, this is a part of Sweden. Like, it's strange with Sweden because Sweden is a very rich country. Yeah. Um, but we still do have problems, you know, and like up here, for example, unemployment is quite high yeah. in this part of the, you know, where, where there aren't any major cities and so on. Uh, and people here, I think, see today that we bring like people to the region uh, that pay for themselves and we buy a lot of produce. We're a major, you know, um, customer to a lot of the... Uh, farmers in this area, for example, especially now with the charcuterie. Well, they must be doing much better since you came. Yeah, they are. Especially with the charcuterie, since we started that. Uh, because, for example, when we started the charcuterie, there were no certified organic pigs in this yeah. whole region. This region is the size of Denmark. Yeah, It's the sixth of Sweden. <laughs> yeah, There was no organic pigs here. And now, all the pig in this region is certified organic. And we buy them all. And what um, do you do yourself? You have kind of vegetables here? Or do you also get... We produce get... vegetables. We produce about 5,000 kilos of vegetables for the restaurant every year. Um, yes, we don't have any own animals at the moment. But we, no, we, we, we cooperate with other farmers instead. And that's often the way we do it. Like we do start doing something ourselves. Learn as much as possible and about it. And, and then we try to find someone. So now we have one guy who brings sheep here in summer and another who brings cows. Okay. And they, we let them use the land, and we, you know, uh, get meat afterwards. But the the vegetable is the main. The vegetables that's are the main not, thing that's that you our do. Own thing. We have a, someone who who has produces vegetables. For I was interested to see that you the vegetables have the starring kind of role for you that you can change other elements of a dish. Yes. You can change the meat or the fish. Yeah, yeah. the vegetables but, is what makes a difference. <laughs> it's really is, you know. Because the what you produce here is very intensely no, flavored. That's how it is. Like. Uh, and if you take uh, if you take a dish, a fish dish, let's say that you have a, you know, or let's say that you have a chicken and you have a carrot, mm -hmm. then you have one dish. And if you exchange the chicken for pork, mm -hmm. tenderloin and pork, it's still going to be the same dish. If you have a carrot there, it's going to pair with the same wine. It's going to yeah. eat the same way. So, yeah. if you exchange the carrot for uh, something else, for a uh, um, potato gratin, yeah. then you have a completely different dish. You love carrots, don't you? I do because my mum and dad bring them. The kind of the smell when you pulled them up yeah. was—I never forget that they had yeah. that in their garden in the house we first lived in. Um, where do you see this going, or do you not think about it in that way? Um, I see it continuing <laughs> because it's still very interesting. Um, people are still coming here, and they seem to be continuing to do that, which is essential for You're us. You're really young though, still. Yeah, I'm thirty-one. Yeah. yeah. 
and I was kind of, yeah, because I'm 20 years older than you, and I kind of, look what he's done at that age. Um, <laughs> but I, I just wonder what you'd be doing in 15 or 20 years' time. Yeah, me too. I have no idea. But I, I don't think that I would be doing this in 15 years. You don't? No, I don't think so. Uh, because I, I think one day uh, either I'll get tired of doing this, the restaurant, or people will just stop coming for some reason. I think more likely that you'll get fed up first. You never know. <laughs> um, one of those things is going to happen one day because I think restaurants like this is going to have a best before date. You know, um, And then I just probably do something, some other thing. Hopefully something interesting. Something to do with food though? Probably. I don't know. But I think so. I like it. You're going to be a marine biologist. Uh, yeah, thing? that's one of one of my many ideas of what to become. So. Photographer, I mean, no, that's amazing. that's a, that's my hobby. So that's a different thing. That's, that's a really, that's a good job. That's a lovely job. Um, and what do you think about the people who come here? Because you've got to make a very special commitment to come here, mm. and it's expensive. So you're not catering. I mean, I've thought about coming here before and I've never managed to do it until I was offered this chance, which was incredible. But every time I looked, I thought, oh, look, I'll go for a birthday or something, but I've got to get the... Tr- and like, how much is that going to cost by the time we do the whole thing yeah. with my partner, who's not in food at all? Um, does that does that bother you in any way? Or do you just think that's just the way it is, so I just it accept it? It's just the way it is, because like, you can't run a restaurant like this without it becoming expensive. And everyone who says that you can, because there are people that say that you can, you know, uh, you can only, you, don't, you only have to charge 60 euros for a menu and so on. But that's not the same thing because like for that money, you just can't fit as much into, like you can't fit, produce as much content, at least not in the long run, as you can when you charge what we do. Um, so I think that's just something that's part of the deal. And it's, we've always been very careful to raise our prices because each time you raise your prices, you put another little kind of grid on top of the yeah. uh, filter that selects who can come here. Yeah, yes. Um, and if you're not careful one day, you're going to end up having a restaurant with only the same kind of people in it. Yeah. And and still, we, we we have a good variety of people. And, and a lot of people, especially young people today, they prioritize highly going to places like this, yeah. which is kind of our... Now, people do that much more noisy than yeah, they yeah. too. It's really kind of our salvation as a business, you know, that mm. because I wouldn't want to run a restaurant with only one type of people yeah, in no. it. That would be very boring. I thought that, so I just wondered what yeah. you kind of thought about who, the kind of people yeah. that, that came. But, but that's also one of my motivations to do the other things, like to do the charcuterie and to do the hot dogs. So the charcuterie is a good example because the charcuterie is not luxury charcuterie. It's everyday charcuterie. Uh, and like what we do there is some things are obviously more expensive but most of the things that we produce are about 20 to 25 percent more expensive than the industrial equivalent okay that's uh, true anywhere of any good food though so and that you just people decide to do that exactly and, and, and it really works so and, and they are distributed for retail in this area so you can, buy, you can buy in the supermarket you can buy a package of that charcuterie and it's not under like it's not branded Faviken it has nothing to do with Faviken except that we happen to own it okay. and the guy who, who is a production manager happened to be my old head chef okay. um, but it has its own brand and its own identity its own thing we okay. haven't because you probably didn't even know about this no I didn't know about this because we haven't publicized this because I don't want it to be like all oh, the Faviken fancy charcuterie it it's on like its that. own it's its own thing okay. um, but with that place we reach out to more people every week than we do here in a year. I'll bet. Yeah. 
and that pleases you. It does. Because even if it's obviously here, we can communicate so much more content, you know, to people, yeah. uh, to our customers. But the basic ideas about, you know, uh, production of food, about quality and flavor and so on, they're also included in the yeah. consumer-packed Would you like to have a kind of homely restaurant? No. You wouldn't? No, definitely not? not. No, no. I, I think it's just nice with a restaurant that people that everyone, anyone could come to, but it's kind of a something that's never going to happen, you know, because then you limit yourself creatively in a way that's not going to produce a very particularly interesting result in the long run. I think. Okay. No, because the thing is that um, if you look at the idea of very very ambitious chefs who has the same background that I have, working yeah. in very ambitious restaurants. Yes going into the trend that has been over the five last years, saying that, well, we're going to you know, you know, democratize this and we're going to have... Yes. It's not going to cost very much. Uh, and it's going to be just as good. We're just going to take away some things. You didn't believe it. I don't believe it because it works as long as someone is doing it purely out of passion. And it works for a bit. But just at some point you run out either of dedicated time for creative development because you can't afford it. Or you run out of produce. Because there are only... Because more people are coming to them. There's also only a certain amount Mm. of produce that you can afford working with. Like, uh, when you've done 20 dishes made on chicken wings, it's not fun anymore. (laughs) Maybe then you want to try a pie. Just a final thing. The whole kind of new Nordic thing, which you are not, you didn't sign up to, and don't necessarily see yourself as part of partly because the Nordic countries are all different and distinctive. Um, do you think it's been good? Do you think, and yes. what stage, because it's just been good for everyone's... It's been good because it put the spotlight on cooking uh, in restaurants with identity also in the Nordic region, which wasn't the case before. And do you think it's made people more respectful of the food that they grow here, that they produce here? And where is it now? Because, you know, they're kind of like, they're getting, they're getting annoyed and throwing their toys out of their pram and saying, oh, we want lemons. We don't want to be limited anymore. So where is it at, would you say? I think it's more, actually, that's just more, uh, you know, every reaction has a counter-reaction. And there's actually more people now cooking with sustainably produced, locally produced, very high-quality produce yeah, than there's ever been in Sweden. That has really got through. That yes. Thing. And there's more of that in, like, probably since... Over the last hundred years, it hasn't been at this level in restaurants as it is today on those factors. So I, I think that regardless if some people blend a little bit of lemon in there, that's not the point. Like, go ahead, do it. Yeah. The important thing is that the Brussels sprout comes from somewhere good. Yeah. And no, not from you guys. Not, not, not from Peru. Exactly. No, that so was I think good. that is better than ever. Is it kind of over though? Is that is it at an end, do you think? No, or they're no, just kind of like as a, you restaurant think region, as a restaurant region, yes. Okay. And um, what about the kind of what about that group of chefs who did the new Nordic thing? Is that going to just kind of fizzle out? Because they, well, in a sense, they've done their job. If you know what I mean. I think that some of them will reinvent themselves as chefs do, and some won't. You know, um, Noma, for example, it has never been better than it is today as a restaurant. It's never been more that's... creative. It's never been more well executed than now. And I'm sure that, for example, their next thing is going to be, you know, even more interesting and better. So I think it really depends that it has nothing to do with the new Nordic trend or manifesto. Because the whole thing about trends in foods, well, it's, you know, it's it's really, uh, it's also 
driven by media and what people write about, yes, but there's yeah. still consumers there. Yeah. And if someone appreciates the product, it's going to be around because it's not like Last Trance, where I used to work in Paris, for example. Yeah. Uh, it's now a restaurant that's been open for 15 years almost. Uh, it's still full. No one talks about it. There hasn't been an article written no, about the right. restaurant. It's kind of like the media get hold of things and then it be, things become, well, simplified and straightened and is it on, is it off? I yeah. know that's what journalists but it, do. But it's good. So it's still full. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mm, där hörde vi avslutet av intervjun som jag fick möjlighet att banda eftersom jag var med eh, till Färvike-magasinet. Det var alltså Diana Henry från The Telegraph som intervjuade. Jag satt med lite som bisittare där och så var det Magnus Nilsson som svarade på frågorna. Och det här hände då bara en halvtimme innan vi skulle äta middagen. Jag åt ju sen måltiden tillsammans med Diana och två andra utländska journalister. Ja, och jag tycker verkligen att jag har fått lärt känna Magnus Nilsson betydligt bättre efter att ha lyssnat på det här samtalet. Mm. Ja, han är en väldigt spännande person och det som är intressant är att han kommer nog säkert göra något helt annat i framtiden. Det är jag ganska säker på för han har mycket tankar och vilja och som sagt att när du verkligen vill någonting och du kan och du har självkänslan då är ju allting möjligt. Och det som är häftigt och det Magnus gör då med Färviken det är ju att vara liksom gränssprängare. Att man förändrar de här värderingarna kopplat till vad man kan göra när man är en viss person eller bor på en viss plats. Jag skulle vilja liksom återta den här känslan av att allt är möjligt var än du är. Det är väl otroligt fina ord att avsluta det här avsnittet av Kulturpodden med tycker jag. Nu gör vi det och tack så mycket att ni har lyssnat på oss idag och så hörs vi senare. Tack så mycket.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.